Hello and welcome to the Traumanomics Podcast, a place where we discuss a wide range of topics emphasizing healing, change, and growth for abuse survivors. Drawing from personal and professional experiences, we'll discuss issues openly for those in helping positions such as parents, educators, health and mental health professionals, and members of law enforcement. This is Dr. Chris Bertelson. Chris is a survivor, educator, and author. As a teenager, Chris was a target of a notorious child molester in his hometown, a man who went on to abduct and murder one of the victims. This abduction case went unsolved for 27 years. Chris was instrumental in helping bring attention to the cases, which were eventually solved in 2016. And this is Jordan Howard. Jordan is a therapist here in Arkansas with extensive experience working with abuse victims and males in particular. In addition, Jordan works with couples and people with addictions. Together, we hope to share stories and commentary of resilience and healing in a caring and lighthearted way, bringing attention to issues of abuse, addiction, and the effects on individuals and society. Hey everybody, welcome to the Traumanomics Podcast, the place where men talk about things men don't talk about. Guys, we're, uh, we're coming back today, kind of after, at least for me, a little bit of a hiatus, I guess, over the holiday holiday break. I want to give We were working, you weren't. That's, that's the truth. Yeah. Jared and I were working. Yeah. And, well, uh, I was just sitting back and, you were and relaxing. Kicking back. You know? Yeah. Rocking yeah. chair, rocking chair that's work. How, that's how yeah. it goes, right? So, yeah, and I, I do. I want to send a special thanks, obviously, to Jared. Um, his uh, uh, story was very powerful. And I um, hope you guys caught that episode. And if you haven't, please go on there and check that one out. Uh, it's our, I guess, our first one with Jared. And we'll... Uh, be glad to have him back on for some additional episodes as we go. But, yeah, we uh, will for sure. And we'll also be putting the remaining four episodes with him. We'll intersperse those here in the next few weeks, month, I guess. So we're, we're uh, excited to kick off 2020, guys, with, uh, you know, just some, you know, we're going to have some other things that will be, we'll be rolling out to you pretty I, soon. I can see clearly now. 2020? 2020. <laughs> vision, man. We have this vision. Yes, right? we have a vision for 2020. Yeah, A couple do. of dad jokes here. Uh-huh. That's right. <laughs> well, and we, we really uh, we really appreciate all you guys that are listening to us, and we just uh, please get on there and uh, like us, you know, hit the subscribe button uh, on, on, you know, your where you get your podcast, whether it be uh, iTunes or wherever, wherever you find your podcast. Get on there and like us, subscribe, and and please share our share what we got going with family members. I know that's one of our uh, most important things, and really one of our whys, one of our reasons for doing this, is right. that we really want to be uh, helpful, encouraging to people. And uh, so, if you're getting something out of this, please get on there and share it with a family member. Tell people about it. Um, you know, have them come check us out. So we have had a lot of folks say that they have shared it with other family members and. Uh, you know, sometimes it's just hard to take that first step um, to be vulnerable. That's truth. So that's the truth, and that's kind of where we're taking this thing today. We are a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so today, uh, you know, we we were joking about um, we were joking about cousin Eddie. We like that uh, Christmas vacation theme a little bit. We we both really enjoyed that movie. So we we're thinking about you know cousin Eddie. Uh, you know is. Let's just hypothetically, cousin Eddie is an alcoholic and decides to get sober. And now what? You know, now what? And Jordan, this is sort of, uh, and we were joking about it before we started recording here, but um, people get into recovery 
and they've been on their bulldozer going through life, wreaking havoc. Steamrolling people. Steamrolling people left and right, using people, manipulating um, all of those behaviors, which, I mean, we could talk about that in more detail, but what about the family? Okay, so now what? That is, and that is the great question there. What about the family? You know, how does the family fit into this context? How do they, you know, what do they do? Uh, because I think oftentimes, as Chris and I were discussing, and you know, obviously if you work with some, if you work in the addiction field, you, you see this a lot to where uh, the addict a lot of times becomes the client, right? They become the person that you're treating or that is, you know, being treated at a, whether it's in therapy or a treatment center or whatever, you know, they're, they're trying to get into recovery. Okay. And so for the purposes of this episode, I think we're, we're really trying to look at this one of like, okay, the addict has gotten in recovery. They're doing their stuff. They're at least, they're starting to do their work. What does the family do? You know, with all of this, just lingering effects of the steamrolling that has happened. Um, what, what are they supposed to do with all of that? And, um, I know as Chris and I were talking, one of the things I was sharing with him is that uh, I know for me, especially I saw this when I worked in residential treatment, it, you know, you would, you would oftentimes have a lot of family members who are pretty resistant to the idea of getting into recovery themselves. How about resistant and what about resentment? And resentment too, yeah. Um, you know, I'm th- as you were talking, I was thinking about this. Uh, one of the, I would think, one of the primary pitfalls or, or stumbling blocks for recovery is trust on the part of the teacher, uh, teacher on the part of the, well, maybe a teacher, but on the part of the family, rebuilding trust with that person who has right. not been trustworthy. Has not been. Right. That's They've right. lost that trust. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't speak very plainly. There's, you know, uh, I've worked at a treatment center where you're predominantly working with younger guys at the time. And I would, I would, be willing to say that most of the time, especially when you tend to deal with the dads that would come in of their sons who were in treatment, one of the first things they would do when they would come in for their family therapy at the place, would, they would want to make sure that I knew as the therapist that how much they were they resented the behavior of their son and how much they wanted to share that with him. How quick they were to tell him, here's what you did wrong, here's how much money you cost us, here's how much pain you put us through. And one of the, you know, obviously my job in that situation is to kind of manage that. Because where that is true, you know, there's also this part, too, of the addict going through, you know, they haven't been themselves during that time either. Right. So there, there's definitely a place where the addict has to own a lot of things, too. But, uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, and this is not maybe the most comfortable topic if you're dealing with this issue right now, but, you know, family systems here. You know, how much do... Uh, how much do families have to own some behaviors of their own during these situations, too? That's really a great question. And I think the a system of denial, you know, we could talk about uh, things that, you know, every family has their issues. I've, I've always kind of chuckled about the, the word dysfunctional family, which one isn't, right, on some level. Right. And so, but I, but I think a lot of it is uh, a lack of communication leads to this kid, in your case, you're talking about these boys not fitting in, seeking relief. There's a reason for all of that. And, and uh, without the communication um, about that, it won't change, right? Correct. It's, it's, and so, you know, I think about these kids that you were working with, younger people, you know, they're, 
a number of them are they're not there by choice. Um, right. I think that matters too. If you're choosing, are you choosing recovery because you, you hit a bottom? Are you being forced, or are you being forced? Right. And so and, I'm sure that's a huge. Well, and honestly, that that may be. I mean, as we're sitting here thinking, that gives me another idea for another episode. We could probably do a whole one on just the difference between being for an addict being forced into it versus because there's a lot to say. I think about that about that topic. But you know, one of the things I think just off the cuff that you know just just to humor us a little bit is like. Literally picture picture cousin Eddie. If you're familiar with National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, I think one of Chris and I's favorite holiday movies. Uh, I think I watched it two or three times this Christmas actually. But um, you've got cousin Eddie who's out there, drunk, dumping his sewage. You know, we all know the classic line here, but he's right. out there dumping his sewage. You know, in the middle of the street. You know, I mean, in an RV. Okay, so we've got this this picture painted. So you know, as we go to talk a little bit about enabling. You know, is anybody anybody <laughs> right. seeing this? I mean, you know, I mean, look, this is pretty obvious what's going on here, you know. Um, and, I, and I do. I think of those words, those classic words we use with addiction, like being an enabler, you know, that can come into play. Okay, we know there's a problem. We know there's something going on. What are we doing? Are we being proactive here? You know, one of the, one of the saddest things, and it, it, this will be my, my short plug for the, well, not short, I actually really love the show, uh, TV show Intervention very graphic you know but if you're into kind of seeing what the what reality is like working with an addict and working with the families that gives you a better depiction than probably anything I know that you could go watch um, so check that out but it's a uh, you know you will see a lot of those enabling behaviors you know parents that are still giving you know, all kinds of money while they're yelling at their son or something over here they're forking out cash like nobody's business so how do we what do you envision of how that quote should go? You know, we, we talked about the people who um, choose recovery or not. We can come back to that at a different time. But let's, let's look at just say a family where the son or daughter or husband or wife, whomever, is now going to a 12-step program. You know, they're going to meetings. They're seeing a counselor, outpatient or something. And... The family says, that's their problem. As a therapist, how do you show folks that it is, in fact, a family system? And then the other thing is, what are they, What should they be looking for? Yeah. Enabling well, is yeah. one piece, but that's, sure. there's more to the picture, right? Absolutely. Well, the, the initial thing, and, and uh, I know as we were talking, Chris, that I, that I do, and I think I mentioned that I, that I have some resistance to as well, uh, is to try to get the family members, especially those that are in close proximity, whether it's a mom, dad, you know, especially that setting, or a spouse. I mean, you, they need to be doing their own therapy at that point, their own, you know, their own recovery work. Let's put it that way. You know, I work a lot with sex addiction too. You know, and I, I you know, by all means, I'm trying to get the partner into recovery too, because you have a much better chance. I mean, I think even statistics would show you're going to have a much better chance of that having a more favorable outcome if the partner will do their work as well. So I, I guess my question for you is, what if the partner doesn't see that they need work? Yeah. And does that happen? Absolutely. That happens. Uh, that's more frequent I'm, I'm than asked, not. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> I'm asking that facetiously. I know you are. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's the norm. <laughs> that's the norm. I mean, right there. Why do I have to do this? They're the one messed up. I don't have a problem. Right? You know, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, 
guys, I think for me, it ultimately goes back to ownership. I mean, we have to be able to own that, you know, if you are in a relationship with somebody who has an addiction, there's going to be most likely, I'm not, I'm not, hear me with what I'm saying here. I'm not blaming you for their addiction. That is not the, that's not the truth. Do you play a part in it? Yes. By the nature of being in a relationship, there is a part to be played there. Okay. Now I'm not judging what percentage or all that kind of stuff. It's different for different people, but there's a part of it that, that, you know, um, and that's, that's where I think again, you know, things like boundaries coming up with those type of things. Can I hold boundaries? You know, why can't I hold boundaries? What's my, what's, what's going on there with that? I what think, do I, what, let's go say, what do I do with the resentment pieces? Don't, don't you think too, there's a element of managing that addict's mood, um, yeah. finding out what they're doing. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking of the crazy making stuff of, well, he's not home. She's not home. I'm going to go, I'm just going to go drive by whatever bar I'm going to go over here or after he or she passes out, I'm going to try to check her phone or his phone, those, those sorts of behaviors that in the, in the moment, I suppose, seem relatively normal and useful. To an Al-Anon, let's just call him an Al-Anon. To right. somebody that's, yep. you know, working or living in that situation. All the time spent trying to manage that person's addiction. Right. And it seems normal. It yep. seems, seems, seems like a reasonable thing to do, right? Definitely become the norm. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I think so. I mean, I think that's what you see a lot, too. I mean, is, is the, the, the amount of time, money, effort put into managing that person. And, and to me, folks, at the end of the day... Can you control their behavior at the bottom, at the end, at, when you take, take everything away, we have little control over what somebody else, but we have virtually none. We can set boundaries, but I can't make, you know, you can go out there and check all day long where a person is, are they at the bar? What if they are? What are you going to do? Right. What do you need to do? So, I mean, and I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate, but I know some people who would march right into that bar. Yep. Make a, a confrontation out of it it would um, and you know i guess that's up to people to decide if they want to do that it is. you know that's, that's one not, way right? that's one way to yeah, do it that's right? one way um you know it reminds me of this movie have you, you ever seen the movie the campaign i have yeah. when uh you know it's zach galifianakis and hilarious. will ferrell and, yes. and he invites him over for drinks and and then when will ferrell's leaving he calls the cops and gives him a dwi right. you know i guess that's one you do that you know, yeah it's tough yeah. love right right <laughs> so right so on that you know we just have a, a couple three four minutes here left but um why is tough love so hard for folks that are in those yeah. situations? You know, you talked about the sure. parents or the family that's just shelling out money to this person yeah. whose addiction and who are is, furious with them and and simultaneously yeah. furious. Yes, yeah. Um, but they just it's it's almost an the enabling becomes an addiction for them almost yeah. where they're just funding that habit yeah. or funding that behavior and yeah. can't quit. Don't you think at the end of the day it's fear? That, that's where I come down to. And I think what I mean by that is fear of if I don't do this, are they still going to be alive? It's almost that ultimate fear of what if I, what if I'm too tough on them and they OD or they, you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like. So, and, 
and I think that's that's a possibility. And how about this one? Fear of loss of relationship. That T. Which, in fact, might be the best thing for all parties. Absolutely. Which is scary. It's scary. It is scary. You know, if I'm tough, if I'm tough on, you know, my family member that's in this full blown addiction, they won't talk to me anymore. They and, won't. And setting that thing of I like that I'm not doing relationship with you. Right. While this is going on, not not loving you. Not that that stops. Right. But I can't do this. Tough situation. Tough situation. I'm sure. I'm you know. I'm Tough sure situation. a lot of parents find themselves in that with their kids. Absolutely. I'm sure you've seen that. You do see that in, oh. in therapy. It's a hard line because you know I think there you're, and honestly I think this is something I, I just to be very blunt I think parent I mean recently as as recent as this week, you know in my practice you know I had had parents asking me you know, on two different occasions, what do I do with this tough love business like it, it doesn't seem to be working, you know and I think one thing we have to examine there is. Are you doing relationship with them too, to the best of your ability? And what I mean by that is, are the, is there openness? Is there some way to get to what's going on with that person? And I know we've got a whole, we don't have enough time to dive into that, but it's, you know, uh, there's a lot going on for somebody who's addicted to something. There, there's something there. Trauma, whatever, pain of some sort. Otherwise, too, are, are you willing to do what you say you're going? You know, oftentimes I think people that we struggle setting those boundaries because we've let people, we we ourselves don't do a good job setting them. You know, well, this will be the last time this will ever happen. Well, it happens 15 times. The funny thing about that when you say that is that when you do finally do it and set that boundary, the fallout sometimes is just terrible. Horrible. <laughs> you know, some people, I mean, you think, I'm picturing this, yeah. you know, the kid that's, You've been given money for oh. alcohol or drugs. <laughs> Nuclear or... reaction. Oh, it's just, and yeah. you know, I'm, and we, here we are, we're laughing about this, but, but truthfully, but it is true. I mean, the, the people just, yeah. you know, they recoil at that. Oh and, man. Well, and, and not to give them another plug, but I mean, you, you check out that show intervention, and you will see that. Right. You will see these people when they finally do, whether it's in an intervention or whatever, they set a hard boundary. Oh man, the addict doesn't like that. Because they feel that it's real, and then they get very fearful, right. very afraid. Well, and I think one of the one of the things that uh, I just want to go back a minute here, or so to what you just said about stuff going on with that person who's addicted to something, it usually, as we've said before, covers trauma. It does. And I would just like to add to that: it's a it's a symptom. It's a symptom. The addiction is the symptom. Yep. You know, there's always it's not who they are. It's not who they are. It's, and for whatever reason, that chemical or that behavior worked for a while in their program, in their life. It worked for a while, but then it stopped working. It is a coping skill gone bad is the bottom line of it. Right. We would look at it that way instead of looking at it like this person is just choosing over and over. You know, most of the time, if you, do we really believe the addict wants to be where they're at? Right. Now, their behaviors will speak that they do, but... I would argue that that's, that's not always the case. Right. Well, and I think, you know, it's an insidious, addiction is an insidious thing, too, where folks don't start out thinking that they're going to end up in a terrible situation. Standing in a, in a circle around a barrel is not where most drinkers start out. They don't think that way. Right. And so, 
Nope. Um, it's a it's a path that they end up on. They don't choose it. Absolutely. So, well, folks, we're gonna we're gonna stop for today, and um, we'll pick up on our next episode. But just a, a reminder that, as Jordan mentioned, to like us on Facebook, Instagram, share the podcast with folks that you think it uh, would be helpful to. And again, reach out, email us, or contact us through the website or social media. Yeah, if you have questions, guys, you'd like for us to field sometimes on here, too. I know Chris and I, we're more than willing to, you know, we, we, when we've had some. We, may we have even, had some. We may have even had a, uh, we may have a podcast uh, at some point soon where we, we try to answer some of those that yep. have been sent to us. We have had a few, and the one vicarious trauma episode was a listener request. Was. So uh, if you have a listener request, please let us know. Thanks, guys. This podcast is made available by Upstart Resilience, LLC, for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the subject matter. This podcast is not designed to give specific professional advice. By using this podcast, you understand that there is no counselor-client relationship nor any other professional relationship between you and the hosts. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent professional advice from a licensed professional in your state. Thank you.